Welcome to worship, everybody, from Helsinki, Finland. That's right, I'm in Helsinki, a little unexpectedly. Why am I here? Well, in recent weeks, you have graciously given so many dollars to our efforts to help the refugees in, from Ukraine in Poland that it was felt the best way to guarantee that we got it to the right places with the right, account, right sort of accountability and uh, in the right settings with our friends over there that one of us should go over there. So I'm on my way. Right now, it's Saturday afternoon. I'm about to board a plane to go from Helsinki into Warsaw, or as the Polish people would say, Warsaw. And I'll spend the next week or so there working on your behalf. Take a listen every morning, weekday morning, to WSOI at 8 o'clock. I'll be bringing a report back to the entire Decatur community. And then, of course, social media. We'll see what posts we can do there throughout the week as well. Most of all, thanks for the way in which you support all the ministries of our church. The general fund ministries and the things we do in the city, as well as the stuff we do internationally, you're making a significant difference. You can give to the general fund of the church, to the boxes in the back of the auditoriums, or, of course, online. You can do the same thing with the Ukrainian fund. And uh, may God's grace and peace be with you today as you worship and as you give. Thanks for your gifts. God bless you. If you love me, keep my commands. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed are those who hear the word of the Lord and obey it says Jesus, as recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verse 28. 
And over the last several weeks and leading up to Easter, we are in a series called Written in Red, The Words of Jesus, which points to how the major Bible publishers, many of them for more than 100 years, have taken the words that Jesus spoke and represented them in red font uh, in many of our Bibles to help them stand out. And so in this series, we are studying the very words of Jesus with this understanding that if our mission is to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, then it only makes sense sense that we would examine the words of the one of whom it is that we claim to follow, the instructions given, the words recorded of Jesus. And so if you've been with us at all, you might recall in week one, we looked at the words of Jesus where he gave us specifically four words that spoke to all the other words that Jesus would give us written in red. That uh, in the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he gives us this difference. He paints a difference between the one who builds their life on a foundation of rock versus a foundation of sand, in which the case sand is no foundation at all. And so Jesus said, the one who builds his life on the rock is the one who hears these words of mine and, key difference between the two, four words, puts them into practice. That is the difference. We can all hear the words, but whoever puts them into practice builds it on the foundation of Jesus' rock. And so each week we've looked at specific actions and words of Jesus to put into practice. Uh, Pastor Week, he talked to us, or Pastor Wayne talked to us about what it looks like to believe and then from there to be in a relationship with God. And then last week, Pastor Rick Grace gave us instructions that Jesus gave on how to forgive. And in the weeks ahead, we're gonna look at how Jesus instructs us to serve and to go, as in to go and make disciples. And then Easter weekend, just as Jesus rose to new life, we too are to live, that we are to live life and life to the full, it says in John. John 10, 10. And so then this week, today, we're going to look at specifically Jesus' words, his call to give. His call to give, and specifically to give when it comes to our resources or our money. Now, some would make the case that, uh, and perhaps maybe you've been around church, you've heard this as well, that the topic of money is a topic that supposedly Jesus talked about more than any other topic. And while you could make that case really more accurately, Jesus talked most about the kingdom of God. He talked about the kingdom of God more than anything else and specifically our faith within it. And so in fairness, how we handle our resources as it relates to, you could say, the kingdoms of this world versus the kingdom of God, it does come up a lot. But let me just say this particularly. like If it's your first time with us here today and you're thinking, oh man, does this church talk about money all the time? No, I can assure you we do not talk about money here all the time. You can ask anyone who's a part of the life of this church and they will tell you that. So do we talk about money all the time? No, but we do talk about following Jesus all the time, of which every area of our life is what we are looking to surrender to Jesus, of which one of those areas certainly is our resources. Just one of the, you could say, every areas that we are called to, that Jesus calls us to follow him in. And so the words of Jesus today, uh, they come through actually the Apostle Paul, that in the midst of raising funds for the uh, church to spread through the churches, the gospel of Jesus, his word, the very words of Jesus, we remember the words of Jesus. This is how the Apostle Paul says. He says, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who this is the red words of Jesus. The red letter says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That we are more blessed, or that word literally means happy, like true happiness, like we are more fulfilled when we give 
versus when we receive. Which is really interesting, actually, because the brain science nearly 2,000 years later actually supports this, that when we actually give and are generous, there are endorphins, like there's like a dopamine hit literally released in the brain when we give more than when we receive. And so while I know this is true, just being real with you, if I'm honest, while I know this in my head, I struggle in my day-to-day living to actually live this way. This one is actually probably one of the hardest things for me, just based on a whole, a whole host of reasons when it comes to uh, resources and generosity and all these kinds of things. That Even in the littlest things, I struggle with this. Like, for example, going to lunch at a fast food restaurant. Like, I work really hard to get already what should be relatively cheap meal, like as cheap as possible. Like I get the value menu burger, you know, I don't supersize anything. I forego the Coke to get the water. And so once I've worked hard to kind of get the best deal possible, then I'm asked, and would you like to donate a dollar? Or would you like to round up your change for charity? And I, again, albeit it's like a minor and like really small world problem, like conundrum, it is for me like this little mini and minor conundrum every single time. And so I get, I get this difficulty that even though Jesus promises us that it is more blessed, that it is actually better for me to give than it is to receive, uh, it can become in real time a disconnect between what I know I want to believe in what it is that I am to believe. Like that one guy said in the Bible, like I do believe Jesus, but help me with my unbelief. Help me with that gap. And so where does Jesus get this? Where does Jesus base this idea that it is more blessed to give than to receive? Where does he get the foundation for this for us? Well, for Jesus, he bases this not just in his words for us, but actually his very life arguably the most well-known Bible verse in all of scripture, John three sixteen, says, for God so loved, God so loved us, he loved the world, and how did he express his love? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so Jesus, God in Jesus, he gave it all. And so each week, whether we're talking about giving or forgiving or serving or going, know that there is nothing in the words of Jesus that we don't first see in the life of Jesus. There is nothing that we're gonna examine in all the words of Jesus that we don't first see demonstrated in the life of Jesus. And when it comes to giving, sacrificial giving, it was not just taught by Jesus, it was lived by Jesus, literally lived to the point of death. Because there is nothing in the words of Jesus that we don't first see demonstrated in the life of Jesus. And so here are some ways, based ultimately on his own life, that we see Jesus instruct us in a life, you could say that is, quote, better to give than to receive. First, we see this in God's command from really cover to cover in the scriptures uh, that are echoed by Jesus. Number one, in that tithing, tithes are an opportunity first to give back to God 10% of what we would say is the 100% that he has first given us in the first place. And if you are newer to church, you've been around church at any length of time, you've probably stumbled across that word, tithe. Uh, That word literally means a tenth. 
And it dates all the way back to the first book of the Bible in Genesis, where God tells Abram, which would later become Abraham, that he will bless his family and the world through him. Uh, and then soon after that, God does bless Abraham with resources, and Abraham is blessed then by a, name, a man by the name of Melchizedek, who it says this in Genesis 14. It says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, which is actually the original place of what would be Jerusalem, drew Salem, that's where that's gonna come from. It says, he brought out bread and wine, for he was a priest of God most high. And so you have this character, you have this Melchizedek, who's both a king and as well a priest of God. And so that is a prophetic foreshadowing of what will be Messiah Jesus, our ultimate king and our ultimate priest. And the word priest just means mediator, really a connection point between us and God. So it's a foreshadowing to Jesus. And so in this story, it says that Melchizedek, this priest, this king, he blessed Abram saying, Blessed be Abram, or Abraham, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth. Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And so this is the first place that we see in scripture of the tithe, of 10% of a tenth given in honor of God and for his work here on earth. And so that's the beginning of the Bible. That's Genesis. That's the first book of the Old Testament. Then at the end of the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi, he's speaking to God's people who God, after he provided so much for them, he had returned them to their homeland after they had been uh, from the Babylonians held captive in exile. And so after all that God had provided, they, God's people, they forgot and they failed to recognize that it was God who provided for them in the first place. And so they had forgotten God, they had neglected God, and they had neglected giving back to God, returning to God, it says tithes and offerings. And so this is how God says it through the prophet Malachi. He says to the people, he says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? And God says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. And you ask, how are we robbing you? To which God responds in tithes and offerings. And you might be sitting here thinking like, whoa, how do we get from like giving to robbing? Like robbing God at that, like where's the leap here? Well, there's a key distinction when it comes to the tithe, uh, that when we tithe, we actually, you could say, give back. We bring back, we return 10% of the 100% that is all God's in the first place and that who generously provides it to us in the first place. A number of years ago, we did uh, an illustration here on stage where um, I brought uh, someone up, one lucky member of the congregation to the stage, and I took out of my wallet uh, 10 $10 bills, and I gave those 10 $10 bills to that lucky congregant on that day, and I gave only one request. I said, okay, now that I've given you $100, you know, these 10 10s, would you just return to me one of those $10 bills? To which the answer to the person on stage was like, of course. Uh, As in, that's exactly how it is supposed to be when we understand the tithe with God. 
that God has been generous in providing 100% that then are we not grateful in our hearts say, of course, and want to then return to God 10% of the 100% that he has blessed us with in the first place. That's what it means to uh, return the tithe in thankfulness and gratitude and understanding that it comes from him. And furthermore, with that, we don't want to obviously rob God uh, of what is already his. Verse eight says, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, responds God. And so God goes on. He says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. And really, another word for curse could just be consequence. That there are, you could say, natural consequences to disobeying God's commands when we go against God's commands. It's almost like going against the grain of like a plank of wood. You know, like if you run your hand like with the grain, like all's good. But if you were to run your hand against the grain of the wood, it gets rough. You get splinters or slivers, uh, depending on what part of the country you grew up in, a splinter or sliver. I don't think that debate is quite as heated as grilled cheese and cheese toasty is in this area, but it's an honorable mention nonetheless. And so when you go against God's grain of the universe, there are natural consequences. There are slivers. We get splinters. For example, God's word clearly says, do not commit adultery. Uh, Adultery goes against the grain of God's design for marriage. Now, while there is forgiveness and healing and reconciliation available, certainly with God and perhaps with your spouse, there are nevertheless consequences. There are splinters in your life and in your marriage. Or kids in the room, you know, God's word says to honor your father and your mother. But if you dishonor or you disobey your parents, uh, maybe even lie about that disobedience, uh, absolutely there's forgiveness and available to you with your parents, but there are consequences. You might lose video games or lose getting to go out with your friends, uh, but more so, trust is broken and trust needs to be restored. Or for example, do not steal, you know, Again, forgiveness is available, but there are natural consequences. You know, kids, if you steal at school, uh, there could be consequences with your teachers or at home with your parents. Or adults, if you steal with your employer, there's consequences. And then depending on the gravity of the situation in any of those settings, uh, there could be consequences with, you know, legal authorities. But the interesting thing is that even if you never get caught, per se, uh, there are, as we know, natural consequences of our conscious, of this kind of this curse if you will. And so when you rob God of tithes and offerings, you're ultimately robbing yourself of his blessings. And so verse nine, you are under a curse, you're under a natural consequence, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Therefore then, verse 10, God says, bring, bring back, return back, return the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. See, God's house in the time of the Old Testament would have been the temple, and now it is the church, the age of Jesus, the time that we are in of the New Testament. And Pastor Robert Morris of uh, Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas, who actually is the church that helped plant uh, the church that our former associate pastor, Darren Embry, is a pastor at in Decatur, Texas. Uh, Pastor Morris, he says it this way. Uh, He illustrates it asking, would you ever go to a restaurant eat the food, have a great meal, and then leave expecting not to pay? Well, of course not. 
And so Pastor Morris, he points out, then why would we ever treat God's house where we are fed spiritually in the same way? You know, and I was just thinking back, just even over these last few weeks, you know, Pastor Wayne feeding us, talking about what it means for us uh, when we believe and how that, if you remember, he stood on a ladder, how like kind of the, the steps of faith work. And then the week after that, what it looks like for us to be in a relationship with Jesus, that we work hard, but we also play hard and pray hard, that Jesus exemplified this. And if you weren't with us last week with Pastor Rick Grace, I will say that um, is arguably the most important message I've ever heard on the topic of forgiving others. Because he told us very clearly what forgiveness is and actually just as importantly, what forgiveness isn't. It's like one of those sermons, like in 50 years, I'm gonna be, someone's gonna be coming to me like, I need to talk to you about, I can't forgive somebody. I'm like, back in March 20th of 2022, Pastor Rick Grace gave the, I mean, it, was, it was that good. So I'd encourage you to check that out because it's just super helpful on what it means. And so we are fed. We are fed week in and week out. And honestly, the sermons, that's just the tip of the iceberg because you know, if you've been around the mission of our church is that we are about not just gathering here for an hour on a Saturday or Sunday, but we are about growing together and serving together that is enriching and feeding us into becoming our mission, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So see, your church home, God's storehouse, this is the place where you are fed and it is where you return the tithe, trusting God has placed godly leaders, lay leaders in our elder team, in our administration team, which is really like a stewardship team of sorts, to wisely budget and to steward those resources on behalf of the church for furthering his kingdom here together. So verse 10, it says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. God says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And so we see all this. We see this from cover to cover. We see it from the beginning uh, to the end of the Old Testament. We have Genesis, Melchizedek, uh, all the way to the end with Malachi. To which you might say, hey, wait a minute. I thought this was like the words of Jesus, you know, the ones in the New Testament. Why are we looking at so many words in the Old Testament? Well, remember, Jesus' words are God's words, extended from God's word. In which, in Jesus' time, the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, would have been the only Bible Jesus would have had, that the New Testament was being lived out and written really in real time in Jesus' time. And so with that, we have, and we see from Melchizedek all the way to Malachi, we also see in the first book of the New Testament in Matthew with Jesus. We see the tithe with Jesus. And I'll confess, a number of years ago, I really struggled with this topic. Like, I really questioned, like, does Jesus really call us to the same thing, to the tithe, to like a specific 10% as the starting place for giving? And the question was posed to me. It said, if Jesus directly said to tithe, would I do it? Question was posed to me, if, if you saw Jesus' words clearly written in red, clearly said to tithe, would you do it? To which, before I give you my initial response, let me pose the question to you. That if Jesus made clear that the tithe, that 10% was expected, would you do it? And I remember thinking, this sounds like a trick question. Okay, I'll listen. 
And so, I was directed to Matthew 23, 23. Uh, very easy one to remember, especially for basketball fans. Matthew 23, 23, it could be like Matthew, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, or Matthew, LeBron James, LeBron James. Just kind of depends on what uh, basketball age demographic you put yourself in. So Matthew 23, 23, uh, not Michael, not LeBron, but Matthew, Jesus. Okay, the words of Jesus written in red. Jesus says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, you give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, to which Jesus says, you should have practiced the latter, like justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former, without neglecting the tithe. The words of Jesus written in red. And then beyond this, we really don't see recorded words of Jesus regarding the tithe. And the reason this is actually is because the tithe was not in question in the time of Jesus. It was a given. It was understood as the beginning place, the expectation where no one in that time was questioning or contesting the tithe. And what's actually even more interesting, if you study the tithes and the additional offerings that are called by God for in the Old Testament, it's altogether somewhere between like 20 and 30% that we would have seen given on a regular basis. But the point being that it was never less than 10%. And so one more real quick. Hebrews chapter seven. So this is toward the end of the Bible, the end of the New Testament. This is after Jesus' death, his burial and resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. And so this is the age of the church. This is the age that we find ourselves in. Uh, in this letter to the church, the writer of Hebrews, he goes actually all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Melchizedek, uh, reminding us of that story. The writer of Hebrews says, this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the priest of the God most high. Remember, he was a prophetic foreshadowing of Jesus as our great king and our high priest, our connection to God. He reminds us of the story saying, he met Abraham returning from defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. In one case, and this is good, in one case, the tenth is collected by people who die. Other translations say by mortal men, that it's mortal men and women who are managing the church's resources, who like actually physically handle you know, the tithes and the offerings that are in these little black boxes in the back of the room. They are mortal men that handle them. But in the other case, or on the other hand, tithes and offerings are received by him. By him, by Jesus, who is declared to be living. And so here, when we talk about tithes and offerings, we always say that when we talk about tithes and offerings, it is first and foremost, you'll hear us say, it is an act of worship. It is an act of worship because ultimately, that is what tithes and offerings are. They are we're not giving to mortals, but we are giving in an act of obedience and worship to the immortal who is living and alive, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because his is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. And so that's what it means. It's an act. It is a choice of worship and obedience. 
And so as we speak to this, as we speak to tithes and offerings, um, real quick, you might say, okay, all right, fine, a tithe is a tenth, but what then is an offering, if we're separating out these two? Well, an offering is a voluntary gift above and beyond the tithe. Uh, so just, I don't know the better way to do this other than just get very tangible for like, this is how it looks like in our family's life. That when it comes to the tithe in our family, we tithe what scripture says are the first fruits, the first 10%. And so very practically, probably like very many of you, uh, we do a lot of our bills uh, paid through our online banking. And so when I sit down to pay those bills, before I pay any other bill, that before I pay the mortgage, the electric bill, you know, the water, whatever, the very first thing I do is I return the tithe. I return the very first 10% in a check to my church home where I am fed First Christian Church. And then as I do that, with that moment, by the way, and I'd encourage you to do this as well, I take a few minutes and I just pray and I trust God and I just ask that this gift would be used for his kingdom work to continue his work right here on earth just as it is in heaven to use this gift for that. And then above and beyond that tithe, we give offerings. For example, we give offerings personally to support ministries like New Life Pregnancy Center here in our community. Uh, my wife Jessica and I, we have been sponsoring children from Mexico since before we were married as juniors in college, before we had biological children of our own through Compassion International. Uh, and, and then over the years, just like many of you, we have prayerfully made commitments and offerings to vision and mission campaigns throughout the church. So if you've been around for a while, things like Imagine First, Empower, Thrive, Year End Christmas mission and giving opportunities. Uh, there's been disaster relief funds that we've given to, global missions, and most recently, just like you, uh, churches in Poland who are housing Ukrainian refugees, of which we know Pastor Wayne is currently there as boots on the ground on our behalf uh, with those gifts, working with our partner churches there. And so those are offerings that we get to be a part of. And with that, I want to call uh, just a quick timeout. This is going to be kind of an interesting thing here. So today, uh, I want to share with you, uh, in some cases, I'm, I'm reminding you of something, and in many cases, maybe I'm just telling you for the first time. But if you've been part of giving to the life of the church in recent history, you should have received a letter in the mail that had this headline that said, shh, it's a surprise. Uh, where it's actually a surprise for Wayne and Leslie Kent. And so to keep this thing I'm about to share with you a surprise. Uh, this past week, I had the weird, awkward conversation of telling Wayne and Leslie I didn't want them to go to church or to at least hear the sermon, uh, which was easy on Wayne because he's gone. But then I found out that Leslie's on the worship team. And so she is literally in an office somewhere with like giant uh, headphones on. She promised to not listen to it. Uh, and so and I just said, I want to have a conversation with the congregation regarding your retirement that I don't want you guys to hear about yet. And so that's what we're doing. And so she's awaiting a text message to come back out, I guess from you, right, Thomas, to come back out on stage so she can know it's safe to come out. And so here's the surprise. Uh, for uh, this summer, we'll mark 28 years of ministry service uh, from Wayne and Leslie to our congregation. And as the elder team and the administration team, and there's this whole like um, uh, transition team and the staff team, we've been exploring what is the best answer to the question. How can we together as a congregation best honor Wayne and Leslie in a way that allows us all to be engaged? 
And so the elders and the admin team, they, uh, as a church, they've already budgeted and set aside resources to honor and, uh, and really, uh, you could say, Wayne and Leslie personally and appropriately. But then beyond that, we wanted to be able to honor Wayne and Leslie's ministry among us by something that would continue ministry for us in the years ahead. That's exactly what they would want. If we we're gonna commemorate them in any way, it would be something that would be for the church and continued ministry for the church in the future. And so we are requesting, you could say, a special offering uh, and a gift that we are gonna take what we would call I call, it, I call it the blank canvas that has been our courtyard for a number of years. Uh, this, I took this picture a few uh, weeks ago, which obviously you know snow's been coming a lot. So, so it's a blank canvas. This is our courtyard. It's just, uh, if you go to the mosaic and look like if you're going that way to the left, uh, this is what's in that courtyard. And it hasn't been something we've been able to fully utilize. And what we wanna do is transform it into a place of ministry where we'll take the west side of the courtyard will be a designated space uh, to really live out what you could say one of our four core values as a church, that we build community, that we wanna create uh, kind of an extension of the cafe of space and place where we can connect in relationships with one another designed to build our ultimate relationship with God. And then on the other side, the, uh, the east side of the courtyard, if you've been around our church any point, you know, you've heard, you've experienced, we are a praying church. And and Pastor Wayne, over the years, we've had kind of these fits at starts of really trying to designate these spaces specifically for prayer in the life of our church. And so now we will have this designated space, this prayer garden and prayer path, where the accent on this particular project in the uh, top right corner there is this prayer wall that's gonna be a replica of the, uh, the Western Wailing Wall out of Jerusalem. That if uh, you were around when Pastor Wayne Leslie went to Israel for the first time in 2014, uh, they share just how powerful that experience was, just realizing that, you know, back in the Old Testament times that the presence of God literally resided just up and over on that wall in the Holy of Holies where that was where God resided. And that was very powerful for them. And so he's, you might've been, he did like a chicken wire fence one time. So we could put, I mean, he is, he's always loved this particular place. And so we're super excited to be able to have that represented in this whole deal. And then third, kind of add to that, that anything that we happen to raise above and beyond what's needed for this project will go straight to Global Missions Ministries. Again, if you know Wayne and Leslie, that in their early 20s, that being global missionaries was such a huge part of their life that as they came to us as a church, a huge goal for them was to make sure that we would be a church that was committed to you know, boots on the ground, money and resources to local and global missions, to which in 2021, uh, you may know or may not know, we gave 22% of all the funds received as a church right back out the door into global and local ministries as a church. And so this week, I would encourage you to pray about giving a special offering, uh, an amount that you feel led, something the Apostle Paul, it's not written in red, but it's in God's word, says to give what you feel in your heart you should give, not under compulsion or reluctancy, because God loves a cheerful giver. And so that's the recipe for being a cheerful giver, to not giving compulsively, but for what you feel led to give in that regard. And the way you can do that, whether online or in an envelope, you just mark courtyard, earmark it that way, and we'll uh, make sure it gets to this, uh, this pretty cool, exciting, commemorative, project for ministry to honor Wayne and Leslie in the days ahead. And so best I can tell, so far so good, somehow we've pulled this off. They don't seem to know, and that in itself will be a small miracle if we can pull this off. So it should be fun. Uh, so just to land this plane, I just wanna share with you again, if you are especially newer with us, does this church talk about money all the time? No, we really don't, but we do. 
unapologetically talk about following Jesus all the time, about becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ in every area of our life. That in this series alone, written and read, we're gonna talk about our believing and our being and our forgiving and our serving and our going and our, of course, our giving to. It all fits in what we wanna be, as Jesus said, a people who, Matthew 7, who build our lives on the solid foundation that is rock, who hear these words of mine, Jesus says, and it makes all the difference that sets us apart from the person building it on the sand who, what is it, four words? Puts them into practice. And so to that end, would you pray with me together for his work to be done in us and through us? Heavenly Father, at the heart of obeying your words written in red, ironically, is our hearts our faith, our trust in your words, Lord. It is better to give than it is to receive. Father, as one man said to you in the Bible, we, we, I think I can make this our prayer, that we do believe. We do believe you when it says it is better to give than it is to receive. But as we believe you, help us with our unbelief. Help us in the gaps of what it means uh, to trust that it is better to give than it is to receive. By the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us, In Jesus' name, amen.